A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the penultimate episode of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 7. In this podcast, we're going to give you our hot takes before discussing a scene-by-scene breakdown for Chapter 23, The Spies, followed by listener feedback and then programming notes for our upcoming schedule. So what do you all think about this? Write in and let us know. You can send us feedback in two ways. Email us at starwarsatthelorehounds.com or head over to our website and either use the contact form or leave a voicemail at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Next week, we're going to do a single podcast for both episode eight and our season wrap up. So Get your feedback in as soon as possible for both topics. Normally, we record on Wednesday nights, but we're going to push our recording to Thursday, so you've got time to watch the episode and get feedback into us. If you want to talk Star Wars with us sooner, though, join us on our Discord server. Link in the show notes below. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access, bloopers, and more. Of course, you can always get our ad-supported podcasts on our Firehose feed by searching for The Lorehounds on your podcast application of choice or using the subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. And lastly, we would like to ask you, if you're enjoying the podcast and our content, Uh, If you could leave us a review and rating, a rating and or review, one of those two, I just want to say and or, um, (laughs) the ratings really help us in the standings when people are searching for podcasts and the reviews definitely help people evaluate, you know, if they want to give their time to a particular podcaster or not. We've gotten some lovely reviews that gives us very warm fuzzies and it's actually a really big help for us if, uh, if you want to help us in one way. That's a great way to do it. So thank you all for that. John, your impressions of episode seven, The Spies. You know, last week we expressed some doubt over whether they can wrap up these plot lines by the end of the season. And John Favreau said, fuck you, here's an hour long episode (laughs) and I'm going to do it. 
<laughs> and I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know who directed uh-huh. this, but I think Favreau wrote most of the uh, season. Famu- Famuiwa. Famuiwa. Okay. So Rick. certainly not John Favreau. Rick. But no. I believe he wrote this because I think he wrote most yes. of the season with some input from Dave Filoni. Yep. And uh, I mean, they're doing a good job. This, you know, as much as this crammed, crammed a ton of stuff into one episode, I did not think it felt rushed. Mm-hmm. I thought that it felt well paced. I thought that everything felt like it made sense. The fights had time to breathe. The emotional moments had time to breathe. This was, I think, some of the best writing in the series so far. Interesting, because uh, people were really down or mixed, I would say, on six, and then we're back on seven. And so it feels right. like you're, you're having fun eating your cereal here. Um, with a, it's, it feels like a nutritious cereal at the same time. Sure. We're, we might even be having some raisin bran. <laughs> the sugary kind the proper kind sure, sure not the yeah. not the not the budget bottom shelf uh <laughs> stuff that's rebranded you know uh right yeah right. no the, the proper raisin brands that got sugar flakes on each little right kernel. yeah what did you think david well uh i'm i'm with you there i i felt like it was a packed episode it was it answered a lot of questions it set up a lot of stuff that if if you had asked me where we would be at the end of this season i thought we would be din and um and grogu would just just be getting to the minds of mandalore maybe uh, in this episode of yep. the penultimate yeah uh that they're there with a whole fleet of mandalorians that we've got our uh big protagonist revealed uh revealing their plots and the the grand plan that's coming together i would have not uh picked that at all and y- you know, one of the things that we complain a lot about in the MC, or we, some people, who knows, you know, I mean, we all, we all have different opinions, but there's a lot of, uh, I hear a lot of comment that in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, there is fatigue when they're constantly setting up for the next movie, the next television show, they're laying out right. track for the next right. characters. This show is definitely doing that work. It's setting up for Ahsoka. It's setting up for the movies. But it doesn't feel forced. Right. It all feels natural. It all feels well connected. I don't feel like they're just shoveling another character at me because that's the next movie that they want me to watch or that's the next television show. Well, Um, did you see the timeline that they've proposed for the movie? Vaguely. The movies are going to be a while, though. It's going to be a a minute before they get out here. So I think that... I'm pretty sure it was Kathleen Kennedy said this, Mm -hmm. that the Mandoverse culmination movie, Star Wars Endgame, is six to seven years (laughs) out. Right. Yeah, I I did hear that. Yeah. So we are in the Mandoverse for a while because they're not going to let it like die and then have a movie. Right. They're going to want to have straight shows to then. And so I'm certain we're going to have more Ahsoka even after season one, even though they're it seems like they're pitching it as a miniseries. But I don't know. Rosario Dawson seems to like the role. Uh, they they seem to be having fun uh, writing it, and and the fan base for the rebels plotline is there uh-huh, huge, yeah. It's so huge. I, I think they'd be silly to not continue it, right? And you know who knows? Maybe they're uh, they're getting good at they're getting gooder. They're getting gooder at the television show production stuff, so they can actually turn these things a little bit right faster and 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 be a little bit more nimble on their feet. And deliver some stuff that is actually good quality. I mean, I heard somewhere on the internets, you know, God knows where I heard this, that even um, who is, oh, uh, why am I blanking his name? I always, this always happens to me. 
Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi actor. Oh, uh, yeah. Ian, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor uh, even was like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind reprising some more, you know, Obi- Obi-Wan TV show stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, who knows where, where that'll go. But I don't know. They, it feels like with this, this season, they have really strengthened their ability to write and produce this style of Star Wars. And right. that, that feels good. I think that, too, when you look at what they're setting up with the Empire mm-hmm. and the remnants of the Empire, where it did seem pretty ragtag at first. Yeah. And this idea that we are purposefully portraying ourselves as a ragtag group of remnants so that the New Republic doesn't get wind of us and so that they don't send out more patrols for us. Right. I, kind, I really like that because it, it really does... As much as I think the sequels have a lot that's not fixable, it does recontextualize, okay, here's how we got a First Order that just came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and, and wiped out the New Republic Senate. Yeah, there, there's... I remember feeling that when uh, The Force Awakens, you know, seeing Force Awakens, which, you know, what, for whatever its strengths and its faults are, just from a story continuum... I, as a fan, I went along with it. You know, hey, it's it's you know good seventy seven feels and all that. But right. then at the back of my on the back of my brain, it was like, where did these guys come from? They're you know Star right. Killer bases, a right. huge piece of machinery, all these forces. Where did they come from? How did they you know become such a potent force? And regardless of what you think, what any one of us wants to think about the sequels. Uh, I like the fact that they're doing the continuity work so that our right. story, our overall story feels harmonious and interconnected and not, well, we're kind of ignoring that movie because that one director or did this thing or right. you know, they did that thing. Right. It's like, no, 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 we're going to actually straighten this stuff out. And regardless of the movie, the story is still the story. That's fine. Right. Palpy's rise, you know, and, and resurrection. That's a cool storyline in in principle. Maybe, maybe well, I made a face. If you huh? if you yes. if we were a video <laughs> podcast, you'd see me make a face. That's right. But instead, you're here for audio, so I'll explain myself. Uh, I think that we should have freed ourselves from the the Palpy. from the Palpatine cycle <laughs> mm. uh, for the sequel series. I think it would have been nice to have a different villain rise up. Uh, but we can't undo that, right? So no. this is the story that we have, so let's try to make it better. And I think that having this setup of this incompetent New Republic, the saboteurs within, mm. and this sort of clandestine right. imperial operation makes a lot of sense. And I think yeah. that that's the best way to recontextualize the sequels the same way the Clone Wars show recontextualized the prequels. Right. So that being said... I think we need to talk about this episode. Okay, good. Um, oh, can I just tell you one thing? Um, you, you can. Given, given that we're definitely, you know, we're on the track for Ahsoka later this year, I am uh, going full in on Rebels. Okay, um, good choice. My goal is to do like two episodes a night kind of thing so that I could just, I'm not going to do the skip around. I, I've got to go story, you know, from front right, to back right. here. So uh, I am doing the Japanese language track. It is okay. helping me, and yeah. I am enjoying it because those actors are nailing it. Those guys are the, the, all the folks that they hired for for that audio track are awesome. Uh, but I, I'm in on Rebels. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Very cool. Yeah. So we've learned, and this was always suspected, but we've learned for sure based on the trailer that 
This is essentially a Rebels live action right. sequel. Right. This is essentially just season five of Rebels in live action. <laughs> because you have the entire I mean, we didn't see Zeb in the trailer, but we saw him in Mando. Yeah, so he's really, there. they gave us there, yeah. Uh, everyone else we saw in the trailer, even Ezra we saw on a hologram. <laughs> so, and Chopper, my, yeah, my Chopper, Chopper. Which, is, uh, which is Dave Filoni as Chopper. Right. So this is, an, this is a Rebels sequel. I'm really excited for it. We didn't get enough Ahsoka in Rebels because of things that happened that I won't spoil for you now that you're watching it. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just really excited to see this plot line be resolved because I was left wanting more at the end of Rebels. Yeah. I, I started Clone the Rebel Wars stands immediately are after mm -hmm. Rebels because I needed more right. animated Star Wars. <laughs> and it, did, it still didn't fill the hole. Because right. as much as I love Clone Wars, and I think that of the two series that has higher highs, uh, Rebels has the best character work in all of Star Wars, right. I think. Yeah, as you've said con consistently. So. Yeah. Except maybe Andor, but that's that's a well, that's thing. a different. Yeah, it's a different class. That's and that's why I'm going for Rebels because uh, obviously the Thrawn connection, but the Rebel stands uh, are you know are are very vocal in their appreciation for that title, right. right? And I think it'll do me more good to catch up on that stuff than it will be to do Clone Wars, which is sure. a lot. How, I mean, how many more seasons is Clone Wars? It's, uh, yeah, it's seven seasons compared to four. So right, yeah. It's, uh, and, and the last season of Rebels is short, too. Right, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a it's a lesser time commitment. I think that it's a more cohesive story. Yeah, Because right. the Clone Wars is almost an anthology because mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of distinct stories. And sure, there's an overarching you know, conflict of, you know, the emperor, the the chancellor creating this clone army and manipulating it and manipulating the Jedi, sure. But really the main the main story is not that present mm -hmm. because because that's already told in the prequels. Rebels is actually very self contained. Like you can right. you know, every now and then you'll get a cameo and some of them are cool and some of them are lame. Uh but it, really the character work and the way that they build this family is the heart of rebels and i love that i'm and I, I will say that ezra's growing on me a little bit more his mm -hmm. his cool guy ponytail really irked me and the whole <laughs> like you know this like you know new wave family i don't know what it, it, it really kind right, of was right. like it was grating on me but i can see the value that that they're putting into it and and i know what's on the other side of this right so i'm using that right. to kind of pull me through at the same time is that i know there's bigger things coming if I can just get through this sort of first uh, season, which I'm through, uh, I'm started on, I'm on the Siege of Lothal. I just watched those two last okay. night. If I can pull myself through to those uh, and get in really to the heart of it, then I know I'm, I'll be in good, good right. stead. Yeah. And you know what? Ezra's supposed to suck at first. And, <laughs> and honestly, all of them grow so much as characters right. that, that they're almost unrecognizable as people by the end. That's exactly uh, in a good way. Have. In yeah. a good way. And Absolutely. and that's why when you said like, oh, I can't stand Ezra. Well, neither could I at first. <laughs> and that's kind of a testament to how good the show is, is that it takes someone who you don't care about and makes it someone who you do by the end. Kind of like Bo-Katan. <laughs> I, I have some things to say about this episode. So we'll I mean, get we got to we gotta get going, man. We, gotta we, go. are, we, gotta we are 15 it. minutes in and we're just gushing about the animated series. And this is a Mandalorian podcast. All right, so three really quick things. Din, Din's armor really jumped out at uh, me in this episode, you know, because we've got the covert and the armorer, and they're all in this patchwork stuff. And then we have, it's not the night owls per se, but I'm kind of calling them the night owls because sure. they're, they're uh, sure. Bo's forces. 
they're all in, you know, uniformed uniform, you know, they're uniformly uniformed. Um, and there is Din in his pure Beskar silver in this very uh, pure, like, you know, he's of the disciples. He's wearing the white robe where everybody else has got <laughs> stuff going, other stuff going on. So it really jumped out at me. He is a different class of character within this pantheon. Okay, but let's talk about this armor because I got to say, sitting side by side, the children of the watch have way better armor painting. Uh, yeah, than, okay. Than sure. the night owl group. I mean, no contest, right. no contest at all. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That. I mean. That's. That's the way it goes. Right. You're. They were. They were a more structured military outfit as opposed to a, a band of, of sure. misfits brought together. Sure. So, uh, love the fact that they resolved the IG plot line. I think people have been like, why did they put in so much effort into the IG plot line? And obviously, <laughs> we we got that uh, resolution. So I just wanted to hang a hat on that because I know a lot of people were like scra- head scratching. What's going on with this IG yeah. thing? Yep. And then I, I really have to find out this mystery of Bo's forehead scar. Is that, and we really saw it in this episode. There's a, she's Katie Sackoff or Bo, I don't know what the deal is, has a huge eyebrow to forehead cross scar. And I haven't seen anything on the internet about that. I haven't really looked that hard, but I'm hoping somebody out there knows and can maybe, write in. Maybe after she gave the Darksaber to. Moff Gideon. Oh, he, gave he her held a little, that dark saber right to her. A little too close. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking maybe we get a little flashback of that at some point. That would be nice. That would be nice. All right, so those were my just little three little things. So let's jump into the scene breakdown. So yeah, we're 45 minutes if you cut out the previously on and the uh, cred and credits, and it's Rick Famuiwa. I can never pronounce that quite properly. Podcasting does something weird to your brain and your mouth. Uh, and he's another director that is just, I think, building such a great pedigree on directing these live-action Star Wars shows. And I'm so glad. And I believe he's got this one and the next one. So he's got two mm-hmm. back-to-back, which is pretty awesome. Right. So, he's yeah, he's kicking butt. I'm, I'm really enjoying what he's, he's got for us. So we open on Coruscant, and we see Amnesty Officer G68, Elia Kane, meeting in secret with an Imperial probe droid. Via hologram, she reports in to Moff Gideon that the pirates on Navarro got their butts kicked by Din and Bo and the Covert. Gideon is incensed. Yeah. Um, what did you think about, about the underworld of Coruscant? Because I'm always intrigued by the underworld of Coruscant, and I want more of it in the films. Mm-hmm. I want more of it in the series, because the, the whole idea of this city planet, right. I mean... How could anyone govern that? And what's fascinating is that that's the seat of the government, and yet they can't even keep control of the lower levels of their own planet. Yeah, I don't. The administration of that is is crazy, and the built up nature of it, and how each little district or section would actually report in and get resources. It's right, seems and there's like thousands wild... of levels. Yeah, exactly. The, there's there was a game actually that was in development called 1313 that was supposed mm-hmm. to be a game about navigating that level of the the Coruscant that's uh, cool yeah yeah uh, lower levels it sounded awesome it got canceled and we all mourn it to this day right but it that's the idea is like it's such a cool concept and I wish it was explored more in the media right well this was 
regardless of what you want to say uh, on that side of things, visually, this was very Blade Runner. This sure. was uh, very um, uh, dark and moody and rainy and neon, neon signs. Yeah. And, I'd believe and you if I ever stuff. saw it. <gasps> oh, uh, that's the sound of me having an almost heart attack. John. You can add it to your next list. <laughs> I know we were going to lock the old man movie list. But I think we might have to smuggle that one in because that's just a little bit too iconic to not include on on that list. Although Conan, I see Conan is uh, winning uh, handily right now on the the next movie poll. No one can face off against the Barbarian. No, it's it's such a good movie, too. It's so fun. All right. um, I did notice that Kane has a TK number. Don't Stormtroopers have TK numbers? I believe so. Yeah, so, so yeah, she read off her number T or her code right to the droid was TK two seven five five. So right, because the clone troopers are CT, and I believe right. the, the stormtroopers are TK. TK, yeah. Um, and then Gideon tells her to continue with your mission. So whatever she's doing, she's not done. So she's got a purpose. There's a reason for her to be there. And it seems like the way that she reported about the pirates, it sounds like to me that. Either the pirates were working directly for Gideon or, you know, just via a cutout uh, in some way. But they right. didn't. The, the fact that they showed up on Navarro is not an accident. I think they were right. uh, uh, contracted or, or however you want to describe it. To, pirates to do that. for that hire. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, wherever the pot of gold is biggest. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like a hit. It does seem like an intentional hit. I'm wondering, though if they were just goaded into it by either, you know, by either Kane or by Gideon himself. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you used to be able to go here. They're having a nice high life. That guy that you used to work for, oh, yeah, he's doing great. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, however, however they were motivated, yeah. they were motivated for I sure. bet you Gideon knows enough about these people with yeah. his intel that he could just not even pay them. He's like, I'll just save the, the credits. Right, yeah, you could have whatever you want. Navarro is yours. Right. Yeah, that's a, that would be a tasty morsel. I mean, there's going to be a number of ships there, you know, plenty of ale and other things to, you know, people to trip and bully around. Right, yeah. All right, we switch POVs to Gideon, who walks down a corridor of force fields past an array of guards in some super trooper armor, which we're definitely going to be talking about later. He then walks past a series of medical experimentation tanks which we saw earlier associated with the Dark Troopers. You have written here, very Phantom Menace. I didn't get that at all, so explain. Isn't that when uh, they're fighting um, the guy with the double sabers and uh, Quigon? Oh, with the, with the force fields coming in between them? Yeah. That yeah. fight, I, now I get it. Yeah. Okay, just, just introduce it yourself, because I was just like, I, I was trying to cue you, well. but it was apparently, I, I was too awkward about it. <laughs> well, you can leave this in as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed, it read very Phantom Menace to me, that whole opening and closing of the door. Okay. So, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, that was, that's uh, the duel of the fates, right? Yes. We've, we've, uh, we've explored that. When are we going to start our Phantom Menace rewatch? We got to, we got to start our chronological rewatch of Star Wars. We do. And I've, I've been mentally preparing myself and, you know, sort of giving myself some ohms and some ahs (laughs) to... You know, just take it because now that I'm, we're so steeped into the world mm-hmm. and the storyline, 
I think I can separate my, oh, this isn't entertaining. This is bad filmmaking sort of voice in my brain and just go, okay, what's the story? What are they saying here? What's happening? Why are these things happening? Sure. I can look at it from that uh, objective instead of being, you know, uh, either impressed or unimpressed by other production sides of things. Yeah. Episodes one and two are rough rides. Episode three is pretty good. Honestly, I stand by it. It's a genuinely pretty good movie. It's got some bad dialogue, but the plot is solid. Yeah. Um, This was also uh, when I saw the secret underground lair style corridors, I got pretty excited because I figured I was going to win some internet points on this one. (laughs) We'll get there. See, I I disagree with you on something, but but we're going to have to get there later. We're going to get there. We're going to get there later. All right. Gideon walks into a chamber where there is a hollow meeting of the Shadow Council already in progress. We see eight other ex-Imperial warlords discussing the current state of affairs. Grand Admiral Thrawn is name-dropped, and Gideon maneuvers to replace Thrawn as a leader who's not yet been seen. Gideon's request for three Praetorian Guard and other resources are approved so that he can deal with the Mandalorians once and for all. So we got a, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about in this scene. Right. Yeah, the the whole thing with Thrawn, I like that I like that they're setting up Gideon to challenge Thrawn because I uh-huh. can't wait to see Thrawn kick his ass and <laughs> sort of just I, I think Thrawn I don't think Thrawn will kill him because Thrawn's a very pragmatic person. That's his whole thing, and he's gonna be like, Well, this guy might be conniving, but he also is a very good leader and I'm gonna have him lead this faction. Right. Uh but but I love that there's actual debate over is Thrawn really back? Yes. Because that's a big deal for the Empire. I mean, he he was gone just before the big fights happened in in the uh, the original trilogy, and mm-hmm. then suddenly he's back, right? Mm-hmm. Heir to the Empire, right? Yeah. Heir to the Empire. Big plans happening, um, and it seems that Gideon definitely has some support of some of these warlords, right? His his arguments were sort of. Uh, swaying people. Somebody even outright agreed with him at, at one point. Um, so I could see that this conglomeration of ex-imperials would be a very deadly group of people to do business with. Right. And kind of like a crime family or mafioso or what have you, or Yakuza style. Everybody's got their sector and you stay in your sector. You don't go messing around. But right. at the same time, they have sort of a grand plan that they're trying to weave together. Right, right. The League of Evil Villains. So, um, Captain Gilead, Gilead Palian? Palian? Pelin? I don't know how to pronounce that, but I believe you. Right. So he was Thrawn's second in command from the Thrawn trilogy and was mentioned in the Rebels finale, but this is his first on-screen appearance. So I believe he was in some books and some other uh, mm-hmm. material. I started the newer Thrawn, Thrawn trilogy. Okay. And it was it was a bit dry, okay. to be honest. I've heard it gets better, but I just haven't returned to it. I do want to read the Legends trilogy. People say that the Legends trilogy is really like the, the trilogy. Okay. If you want to see Thrawn in right. action, unfortunately, it's not counted anymore. Right. But they're still using stuff. It feels sure, like they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're pulling little threads and, right. and bits and pieces. Um, then we have Commandant Brendel Hux. And he, as the actor, is actually the brother of the guy who played General Hux from the sequels. Well, that's fun. 
which makes it easier because this is uh, Commandant Hux in The Mandalorian is the father right. of Armitage Hux, who is in the sequels. Right. So That's cool. And then there's a bunch of ta- book tie-in stuff there, too, about how the Hux... How the Hux family is not a very happy family, and it seems like there's a little bit of fratricide happening there and other, other stuff. So, ooh, I hope that didn't uh, <laughs> cause anybody any problems, but um, spoiler-wise. And then we have Project Necromancer. And necromancy is the practice of sorcery involving communication with the dead or returning someone to life or using the dead as a weapon. Right. So. We have some. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do the emperor. Yeah, emperor laugh. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, the cackle. Did you see he? Uh, the emperor uh, himself, Ian McDermott. Is that how I pronounce it? Anyway, he sat on his throne, the original throne that was on display at Star Wars Celebration. Oh, cool. And he did the cackle for everyone. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's nice. That's awesome. So, uh, and, and of course, Praetorian Guards, as opposed to elite Praetorian Guards. In fact, uh, our friend uh, Alisa in Amsterdam sent us uh, some video or an audio recording that we're going to drop in at the end, talking a little bit about Praetorian Guards. So we've got a lot of tie-in stuff here to the sequels. Cool. All right, we get the title card then, The Spies. And I'm not really sure who the spies are. I mean, obviously we had Elia Kane, but I don't know who else is spying here. Uh, I, I, I guess you could make a broad argument that like the Mandalorian scouting are spies on Mandalore. I don't know. It's a little yeah, weak. It's a little yeah. weak. The Shadow Council, they're not really spies per se. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how this title fits in. They needed something to write. Yeah. <laughs> so we shift to Navarro. As we see the Mandalorian fleet arrive, led by Bo and Din, High Magistrate Grief Karga does some exposition for us, and Bo sets up the potential conflict between the two tribes. Yeah, um, there's clear tension right away yeah, between right. the two groups. Uh, pretty, pretty scary. Pretty scary to see because they have very big guns and big armor <laughs> and big ships. Uh, I did enjoy the ship coming in and the common people being like what the f- hell is this and in grief cargo going relax it's just yeah, the mandalorians it's just the mandalorians yeah now that was cool um the gift the gifts yes. mm-hmm. which we have land. to get to next was the mm-hmm. best part of the scene though okay the i loved the um the uh mythosaur on the on the belly of the light cruiser that was oh, yeah. super sweet. Good stuff. Uh, I wonder who's guarding Plazier 15 now. Uh, you know, who's, 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 who have they hired? I hope Jack they Black hired. in all his glory. I hope they hired some, some more, you know, bodies to, <laughs> to take care of that place. And then I just, uh, this is a completely off the wall comment, but the combined weight of all of those ships landing on the ground, like a light cruiser actually landing, that, I don't know, maybe it's using its anti-grav and slightly hovering. But, uh, geez, when that thing came down, I was like, oh, boy, that's going to leave a dent. Yep. All right. As the two tribes square off, the newcomers remove their helmets, ramping up the tension. The armorer diffuses the situation by welcoming them and inviting them to a feast. Grief welcomes Din back to Navarro with a gift of booze from Coruscant and something else. 
So it was fun to see Paz uh, squaring off here and getting ready to throw down with the uh, the new Mandos coming in. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, John Favreau's doing a good job voicing him. Yeah, he. It feels natural. It doesn't feel like just a placement. And they did it. It was a nice uh, setup for the tension that was going to happen between Paz and Wolves. Like, okay, yeah, right. these guys are going to fight. These guys are going to fight. Like, there's no, right. there's no question here. They were itching for it. Absolutely. Um, but so fun to see so many Mandalorians gathered together in, in yep. one big group. So that was yeah. a very cool scene. And seeing just seeing the CGI of the fleet coming in, it was just so... Uh, it, it did really scratch that that starship porn sort of itch, you know, of of seeing like some good, um, good uh, cruise, you know, ships cruising around and doing stuff. Right. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Back at Grief's office, we are introduced to IG Twelve. Grief fits Groga, Grogu, Grogu, Groga, Grogu into the chassis, and Grogu seems pretty comfortable. Din objects, but so does Grogu. Grogu makes a mess at the farmer's market. This isn't working for me, says Din. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the yes-no buttons are perfect yes. for Grogu. I mean, he, he just... And I love how fast he is on them. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I don't think you should wear this. No. <laughs> no. Like, he, no. No hesitation. Yeah. Have you seen these buttons that you can get for pets? I've not, and now yeah. I'm scared to ask. Yeah, so you can get this like <laughs> uh, like array of like 12, 15, 20 buttons, and you can program them to say different things, and then you can teach your animal um, what you know that word is. And so there's like great TikTok videos of stuff of people's dogs asking for treats or wanting to go out and play or calling their owners okay. really uh, uh, mean and obnoxious things when they say like, no, no, you can't go for a walk right now. And then the, <laughs> the dog will like <laughs> call the owner like a, the B word or something That's like funny. that. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> but it really made me think of that. Uh, you know, this very, very intelligent creatures, but using, you know, using our language in a, in a very comical way. Right. So. Right. Well, David, it's time we take a break, and when we get back, we'll get back to our recap. Bad baby, no squeezy. And we're back. So does Din feed Grogu enough? Because the way he was wolfing down the food in the market seemed like he was starving. I wonder if that's why he hasn't grown anymore yet is because he's just starved. Din's being stingy with the food. Yeah. What? I gave you a pack of rations three days ago. (laughs) Back at the Mandalorian camp, the two tribes sit uneasily at the feast. Bo makes a speech and outlines her plan to retake Mandalore. Din and Grogu are the first to volunteer followed by uh, Koska Reeves and Axe Woves, and eventually the armorer herself. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we finally get to see some armorer action this season. Mm-hmm. It's really coming up. The, the team, I mean, a lot of it was just no, fa- no names. Uh, but we did get a nice mix of the named characters, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, it was interesting to see uh, Din sitting very... Uh, conspicuously on the covert side, which makes sense. I mean, right. the the right. 
uh, Axe and, and Cusca and them, they're not his quote-unquote tribe or his people. So where's Din going to sit? But he's going to sit there next to, to Paz and, you know, with his covert. So Well, you know, it's sort of like, and, you know, you might see this in real-world religious groups, too, is, you know, if one group of that, if one sect of that group recognizes you as full, no-questions-asked part of that religion, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to always associate with them and rather than the, the other parts of the religion, right? Right. And yep. so... Mando, I always call him Mando, but they're all yeah, Mandos now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Din, you know, he he is only accepted as a full Mandalorian, no questions asked, by the covert. He explicitly right. was, you know, made fun of by the the members of by by uh, Wove. Yeah, by, yeah. I don't know, know what to he, call them. Right. Yeah. The, the members of of the the League of Mandalorians. I don't know. Right. But Kree's not really. I don't yeah. Know. So it, the the point is, he's not. He. I don't think he feels like he has full acceptance from those people. Sure. Whereas he certainly does have full acceptance from the covert. The covert. Yeah. He bathes in the waters. Right. Right. He's, he's clean. And I I love that it's it's clean cut for him. Right. I mean that's what attracts so many people to mm-hmm. religion, and that's what attracts people to fundamentalism too. Is that I have a set list of rules to right. live my life by. And that maybe at times it may at times be easier uh, when I'm looking to make a difficult decision. Yeah, there's no there's little decision fatigue. It's right. not challenging. You know what right. is expected of you, and and you know now what that, to expect. Yeah. Now that's a huge double edged sword. But I'm just sure. I'm just making <laughs> yeah, the yeah. case here for Din being. You know, I am fully part of the covert and nothing right. else. What do you think of uh, Bo-Katan and her leader? I mean, she. so we kind of posited that she might not be the full leader, you know, when the armor says go find more Mandalorians, but she is certainly taking charge here and giving... I, I think if somebody had objected to her plan, there might have been a council and discussion like you, you would have in a, in a normal sort of war council, but it mm-hmm. really does seem that she is the focal point of leadership now with the yeah. armorer's implicit support and and voice right she can't discard the the armorer's opinions on things but it certainly seems like she's the focal point you know i mean i think that bo probably has a pretty romantic view of mandalore that she grew up with sure and mandalore that she grew up with which you would know if you watched the clone wars david it's coming. It's coming. It's sort of a constitutional monarchy. Like right. it, it had a prime minister. I don't recall if it had a legislature, but it, it had certainly checks and balances. It wasn't just a full, you know, anything Satine says goes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if she were going to redesign the Mandalorian government, she'd probably have something similar. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it makes sense that she would fall back to what she knows. Right. So uh, the fleet jumps into Mandalore. And Bo and the recon team descend to the surface. The recon team drops and secures the LZ, and the armorer takes her first steps back onto their home world. So yeah, I like that Paz and Woves are, are continuing to trade barbs here because they're slowly ratcheting up the tension of that, that coming conflict. And I did want to make a notice, be, uh, because a couple of episodes ago, I questioned how the armorer made it onto the surface of Navarro. And in this scene, as they're heading off to recon the area, you can clearly see that the armor has a cute little backpack that matches right? her outfit. How small is that for <laughs> totally. this massive woman? <laughs> and 
And I was worried about the little fur stole she has, like getting burned from the jetpack, you know, thrust or something. So, mm-hmm. um, but she's got one. I posted a picture of it. I, I snapped a picture of right. my phone and I put I put it in our Discord because I had to, you know, clear that little detail up. So, right, cool. All right. As they move out, Max Rockentowski, or uh, I mean Mad Max, or uh, I mean some Mandalorian survivors <laughs> show up. They admit their failure, but pledge their blasters to Lady Kreese. Uh, around the table, Bo-Katan sur- explains the surrender and the betrayal by the Empire and Moff Gideon. It is always our own divisions that destroy us, says Bo. Absolutely. I'm so <laughs> glad she said that, though. I mean, there's a whole thing where in Rebels, uh, now I don't want to ruin it yeah, for here you we go. because you're okay. watching it. That's there's fine. There's a whole can... thing of, of Rebels, uh, Mandalorians being divided for and against the Empire. Uh, there's, you know, the whole thing of Satine, sorry, Sabine. See, we, we, we can't yeah. get these names straight. No. Sabine, the Rebels character, making that weapon against Mandalorians right. and trying to claw her way back into the graces. It's the, the Bo-Katan faction she's in rebels and then you even have death watch in the clone wars right. that whole thing that bo katan was involved in and now we know so was the armor and so were probably a lot of these people who were on concordia are uh, you death watch death watch exists no longer says right. the armorer so yeah that was a great name drop right there right and and uh she said i think right after that you know it it split into competing factions right so this appears to tell us that this was, this faction was a piece of Death Watch. Right, yeah. And that Children has splintered of off Watch. now. Yeah. Right. Which is fascinating to me because Death Watch was a terrorist organization that was right. clearly portrayed as a villain organization in the Clone Wars. Uh-huh. And now they are the faction of our hero. Right. Uh, mention of the ISB, which ties us back to Andor. I thought that was interesting. Right. Um, right. And uh, I just want to shout out the two of the actors. The survivor captain is Charles Parnell. And if you ever watched The Last Ship or a whole bunch of other television, he's a, he's, he's a very busy actor. He plays a lot of character uh, bits. And um, I really was okay. happy to see him here. And then the survivor scout was uh, Charles Baker, a.k.a. Skinny Pete from Breaking no Bad. No way. Yeah. That's, wow. Now I got to go back and watch it because that's incredible. Yeah. I got, I'll, I'll tell you, I got big feels from this whole scene, and we're not even into the big part of the scene yet, but seeing the survivors and, and Bo's retelling of, of what happened, I, I got a lot of feels from this, and I thought it was really well played and made sense to a large degree. I loved how the captain and the scout, you know, admit their uh, failings, but yet are still there to pledge their honor uh, and their blasters to Lady Kree's. Yeah, it was it was just good. I, I really enjoyed this whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, great scene. Feeling lots of emotions, Bo looks out over the wastelands, and Din comes to her to pledge his loyalty, telling Bo that he now understands. He gives Lady Kreese his pledge of honor, saying, I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people, nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty, and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. Your song is not yet written. <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting feels. I will serve you until it is. Bam! I was like, this is great. This is really great writing. I was so psyched. The only problem with it is, 
Uh-oh, oh, you're going to pop error. my bubble? You're going to pop my bubble? They made a factual error. Oh, Her God. song is written. She has two <laughs> songs written. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. You win some internet points for that. We'll put in post credit for this one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> well done. I There's heard a lot that, and I was like, how dare you did <laughs> People are wanting uh, revisions for the song, so. I know, I know. You're going to have to uh, do some more work before the end of the... Uh, I don't know about that because I am busy. <laughs> but, but, but maybe eventually, maybe for season four, we'll have some more Bo-Katan songs. Did you get feels from this? Were you moved? Oh, it was great. And I lo- the Lady Crees was very well placed. Yes, yeah. You yeah. know, that, that's what I'm saying is this is the best writing I think we've seen in this show because everything felt very intentional. Mm-hmm. Every, every choice of word felt like it was there for a reason. And, you know, say what you want about episode six. One of the pieces of work that it did, though, was to give Din the perspective that Bo is royalty. Okay, yeah, he saw her on her sulky throne on on her moon and, you know, in her empty chamber or whatever. (laughs) But to see other nobility and other elected, you know, elected nobility um, uh, paying deference to her. And treating with her as another ruler of station, um, so that when Din does drop the line, you know, I serve you, Lady Crees, it means something because Bo understands, Din, not Bo, Din now understands um, what that means in that world. In his world, it doesn't mean much because it's about honor, loyalty, and character, but he understands that there's a bigger world out there and, and having that kind of status is important and he gives her that respect right and i thought that that was really cool i don't know if you did you ever see the original mash television series no i think we had a long conversation of this on second breakfast actually yeah a while back anyway there's a uh, i'm gonna spoil a piece so skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't going to watch the final (laughs) the final scene right so honeycutt and uh pierce the two you know, clowny, comical main characters who are district, you know, they're, they're, they're drafted into service. They're not, you know, they didn't enlist. So their attitudes toward military discipline and, and all of that and rank and all that kind of stuff is uh, questionable. They're always pushing those boundaries. And the very final scene, what they do to Colonel Potter is they give him a proper military salute as the, you know, everybody's going off in their different directions. And it was so powerful and so meaningful. And it gave me the same kind of feels that I got here from Din giving Bo that respect. I respect you in many ways, and I'm going to pay you respect in in this way as well. And I just thought that was classy. Well, there's still so much time for Bo to fail us. (laughs) You know what? I'm not revising the song yet. I'm waiting until after the finale. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm all in. If you all want to stand Bo-Katan, you know, I've enjoyed her arc so far, and I think she seems to have learned something. But Bo has fooled me before. Yeah, we'll see. And uh, will she fool us all again? The armorer and Bo confirm to take the injured survivors back to the fleet, and the Mandalorian captain says he can take them to the Great Forge. They set sail on their landship while the armorer takes the gauntlet up. Paz and Wove fight, and Grogu steps in to make the peace. I loved Grogu, just like, hold on, guys. <laughs> hold on. I got an IG battle suit here. I'm going to kick both y'all's asses. Right. 
And uh, Din going, I didn't teach him that. You know, that's that's <laughs> yeah, the that Jedi talking over there. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. I love the. Will we see Luke this season? I feel like he's going to show up in episode eight. I hope for not. For some reason. I, I hope not. Okay, but look at what the show is and look at what they want to do. He's going to show up. All right. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, 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 don't, I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I'm not sure what all the, where all the timelines are here and there, because at some point Luke gets um, effed off with everything and hightails it out to the unknown regions or whatever. I, I think we're well before that. Well before Because that. Okay, he just yeah. started the school, right? Right. And we're only true. five years after Endor. And so, and those or maybe sequels we're seven are like years 20, now. 23, 25 years. Uh, yeah, out something from now. like that. Right. And be, because, you know, you got to think they didn't have a kid. Uh, Han and Leia didn't have a kid in, in the Battle of Endor. Right. So Ben has to be born. So let's say they got pregnant right afterwards. He'd be maximum six years old at this point. Okay. And I think he probably betrays at, at the earliest as a late teenager. Right. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Um, Great little fight scene here between Woves and, and Paz. Uh, loved the vibro blade. It was very Dune-like uh, in, in, a, in a particular very way. Very cool. Yeah. And loved the juxtaposition of the two ships, of the gauntlet rising up through the clouds as the, you know, the, the land sail ship thing is uh, cruising along. Does he have to call him a primitive? Yeah, that was pretty dirty. That, yeah. was, that was uncalled for. Like, okay, argue about the rules of your, of your space chess, but do you have to goad him in, into, like, something fundamental about his personality? I mean, you can That's, make fun of his big gun or something like that, or, right. you know, do something else, but yeah, Primitive was pretty, yeah, his that was designed. His fingers are as fat as his gun. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it was, it was definitely designed to goad, so. Right. All right, the recon party encounters a gigantic kaiju. And they lose their ship, but are able to escape into a cavern system down to the Great Forge. As they realize their heritage, they are attacked by Imperial troopers that we saw earlier with Gideon. They've got their own jetpacks and Beskar armor. Hmm. So this is something we've been building to for a long time. You know yep. what? I'm going to let you claim your points first. Let's, let's just get this out of the way. Okay. I, know that, I know that you've got the dump <laughs> truck out back. The, the driver's been waiting a while to dump them. It, it took several, yeah, several UPS drivers uh, had to come and even right. bring extras from the, the dump truck. So, yes. So, last episode, I claimed that Gideon uh, was secretly mining Beskar on Mandalore to create a dark trooper program, and that's where the alloy came from. In the Lambda shuttle, so... Right. <sighs> Vindication. Feels so good. Good job. Thank you. I'm not sure if he was fully based there until recently, just because... Well, no, he, he was, was a prisoner of the... Calls. <laughs> he was doing... Well, no, the, and also he was doing calls, and we know you can't make calls for Mandalore oh, right now. You know, Peter O.H., uh, one yeah. of our lore masters, and, and uh, he was on the Discord this afternoon, and he was saying he was confused about that. So that is yeah. a good question. How does... How does he get through the atmospheric interference? Right. But dot, having dot, them dot. there do, would explain the, the bombers, bombers at, at mm-hmm. Bo-Katan's fortress, her, her sad girl chair, um, earlier in the season. So Where, where else yeah. better to hide in general, too, for on, on a planet that is, you know, haunted, you know, doomed, uh, too radioactive to, to exist on? I think he's the one who spread this whole, it's oh, yeah thing. That is a very good point. He's probably been whispering those rumors out into the, 
into the ether. Uh, he does to seem to be good away. at that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as he says in the Shadow Council, you know, he hears things from, you know, galaxy's end to galaxy's end. So he's probably got a pretty good network of spies. Right. We're lousy with kaiju this season, man. We got a lot of monster action, a lot of dino action and yeah. big monsters. We still got one Just can't more. can't get big... away of them. No, we still got one more to go, too. The Do Mandalore. We? Yeah, the, the Mandalore. Oh, okay. The, ma- the Mythosaur. <laughs> the mis- uh, sorry, the, the Mythosaur. mythosaur. Yeah, 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 the Mythosaur. Gotcha. Um, but that was a cool looking monster for the short time that we got it with the whole green, you know, armor plate things on the back looking like a big uh, oh uh, glass Oh my god, mountain. I just realized. Yeah. Grogu's going to tame the Mythosaur and fight Gideon with it and save. <laughs> you think that's what it's going to be? Is that your plan? Well, he's test driving IG-12. Yeah, who is so rated for splunking. Can... Sure. And then he's going to go and upgrade his vehicle. Yeah. Hundred percent. So I couldn't help but uh, notice before we start talking about the these troopers um, that these three factions of Mandalorians, uh-huh. the ones who never saw the light of the trees, <laughs> the <laughs> the ones who saw the light of the trees and went back, and then the ones who never left. So I'm comparing this to the elves of uh, Tolkien's Middle Earth, uh, but it seemed like there's these three distinct uh, groupings here of of who was who was there and never left, who left, and uh, who were never there. So I thought that was an interesting little construction. Yeah, I think you have to flip the benefits though. Mm, it's because, true <laughs> because the ones who never saw him seem to be the most Mandalorian of all the Mandalorians. That's, That's right. You know, the further the closer you get. You're having a bad time if you never left Mandalore. <laughs> yeah, you really are. I mean, that's the first thing they ask him. They're like, are you friendly or, or hostile? No, they're like, do you have food? <laughs> do you have right. food? Food? Can we have right. some food? Well, not, not too worth a fight if you can't survive. Right. So what do you think of these uh, super troopers with their jetpacks and Beskar armor? I mean, very cool. And... Great question of why they didn't do this before, because they had right. access to Beskar. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess just Gideon is the visionary. And I do like how later he sort of, I, I mean, I guess you should introduce it, but just the way he sort of says, you know, I'm going to take from all right. the different mm-hmm. cultures. I'm going to take the best of the best. Which is a very Thrawn-y to... kind of thing to do, if I understand sure. Thrawn a little bit. I mean, he studies more, but um, uh, he's certainly doing that thing of, Hmm, this, you know, I'll yeah. take this bit here and I'll take that bit there and put them together. And it's very Roman too, right? If you want to mm, compare it to something real point. world is we're going to conquer all these peoples mm-hmm. and we're going to take the best parts of them. Now, right. we're going to do a lot of violence through this and we're going to be a terrible <laughs> empire for a lot of reasons. But, you know, if you're taking the same argument that Gideon's trying to make, you know, the right. Romans did the same thing of, you know, conquer a civilization and be like, okay, but what do they have to offer? That's why you Roads, know, the, the Roman pantheon. Sanitation, aqueducts. Yeah. yeah. But, Sorry, the, but even the Python. Roman pantheon is just the Greek <laughs> pantheon with different names. Right, exactly. Uh, I wonder if, too bad Monty Python weren't still around to, to lampoon uh, Star Wars. You know, what, did, what, did the Emperor, know. what did Empire ever give us? Hyperspace I wish they Channel? let Weird Al do another song. That would oh, yeah, that too. would be good. Uh, you know, somebody call up uh, Weird Al, tell him that John here is a bit of a musician himself. Maybe you guys can team <laughs> up on a... Yeah, we'll do a duet. Yeah, we'll send him a mixtape. We'll send it. We'll do a record some recordings, and we'll send him a tape of yours. Should we do like a version of American Pie the way he did for episode one? Oh we'll boy, for, if you could pull uh, that off, you would. What you would? Own what? Uh, what? What movie should we do though? 
I, I, I am not going to be at all helpful creative Rogue in, one. in this endeavor. Yeah, ooh. Oh, I don't that That would be so good. A long, long time ago, everybody died. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I do have one criticism about this fight with the uh, troopers. Now, obviously, these super troopers should be pretty tough, but the Mandalorians are practically born into their armor. And so they should know how to fight against this armor because they're always training with each other. And I felt like they got their butts handed to them a little bit too much at the beginning of the fight. Uh, I, I just between jetpacks and knowing where the weak points are on these kinds of armor and things are, I just felt like they should have done a better job earlier on. Well, but as, at the same time, it's over, Bo. I have the high ground. Mm, we use your jetpacks, right? Yeah, but they're already above you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do think that they had the element of surprise. They sure. They had the, All right. the aerial advantage. Yeah, yeah. And, and more. They, they, were, right. they were a lot more. They were not expecting a fight when they walked in there no. at all. They were they were expecting to find a deserted mine, right. a deserted uh, forge. Right. So yeah, I mean, I I, I I buy that they were not prepared for a fight and okay. that they got their butts kicked. I did like that once Vizsla, once Paz Vizsla got into his groove, he was taking advantage of all those points. Yeah, he was definitely uh, hit that his big gun, his BFG was certainly uh, taking out a lot of troopers there. And Bo and some others too, I think, um, uh, and Koska Reeves, um, you know, she seemed to be doing some uh, pretty acrobatic, you know, combat yeah. stuff in there. So, yeah, and like going to somebody's neck, shooting yeah. in there because mm -hmm. that's where the gap is. Yeah. So, exactly. so I do think that that was happening with the, with the more just took him a minute warriors. to get, yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, the, the high ground is a big advantage in Star it's Wars. True. We and surprise, and surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think Woves might find back up the fleet? Um, there's been chatter that the armor is maybe not so good intentioned. Some people felt some uh, dark tingles there with her. Hmm. I don't know, because why would she be leading her own people there, too? I can mm -hmm. see if... I could see if they were leading. She said, okay, well, you guys know the road. Why don't you guys go down? and uh feel it out and establish a perimeter we'll be down in a minute and let let the bo katan people take the brunt of it and leave right. them to gideon okay but it's a mixed maybe, force maybe that's it yeah yeah but the, with the mixed force with her there i don't know i don't buy it and then if she you know what is she going to do back up the fleet because it's bo's people that are are clearly in command of the light cruiser and, right. and, and a vast majority of those ships right so i'm not sure what advantage she was have even if she was playing some game, being associated with Gideon, that seems a stretch for me, even though they're doing some coding with the hel the pointy bits on the helmets. Uh, it's all very Darth Maul-y kind of, right. you know. Well, that was, that was intentional, because those were people who had pledged to Darth Maul. Right. But she's got little pointy things, and then Gideon's yeah. got little pointy things, so I, I'm not really sure. I really don't want the armor to be a baddie in any way no, I really do. i'm really pulling for this unification storyline so if they and if they flip it fine and i just hope they flip it good and flip it right right all right paz gives cover to woves who's able to escape and try to call for reinforcements the mandalorian take the advantage and press the attack but are pulled into a trap din is separated and disarmed Moff gideon reveals his plan ha 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 thanks to your planet's riches I've created the next generation dark trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive improvement 
is that it has me in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Giancarlo Esposito here was just eating the scenery with this. Uh, he loved it. This, uh, yeah, I was absolutely having a great time. Yep. Uh, so we saw Luke destroy dark troopers before. Yes. Perhaps they were not made of Beskar. Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think those original ones might not have been. Well, they were blaster. Yeah. I, I don't think they were. I don't yeah. think they were. Okay. But I'm wondering if Grogu, who is apparently a very powerful force user, mm-hmm. will be able to crunch some Beskar. And that'd be interesting. Because he hasn't been very good on the inanimate stuff. He's a better creature speaker than he is a, you know, yeah. lever puller. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's his special talent, but he still can do. He still with uh, the, agreed. With the, uh, yeah, well, that's a special skill. Absolutely. Um, it, I thought it was a really interesting uh, going point. Going back to my earlier point about Din's armor being sort of pure. At one point, he is pulled apart by grappling um, cables and into a you know Christ on the cross looking like figure. Mm. Uh, before he's disarmed, and uh, yeah. I just thought that that was an interesting visual. I don't know that they were doing that intentionally, but the, that's what um, my brain did with that scene. But seeing, dis, ding, seeing Din disarmed, say that 10 times fast, was uh, shocking? Uh, heartbreaking? I don't know if it was heartbreaking, um, but I was certainly... My attention was captivated. I was very captivated. Um, and they had my attention during that whole thing. So Right. I do like that. I think last season it was Grogu captured, right? At the end of mm-hmm. the season. Now oh, we have Din right. captured at the end of the season. Oh, good call. Good pull. That's true. Gideon prepares to complete the purge by eliminating the fleet. He demands the Darksaber from Bo, who then uses it to cut her way out, while Paz holds the door. Oh, door. <laughs> Paz clears the table and then is met by three of Chekhov's, uh, I mean, Praetorian Guard. And so ends the song of Paz Vizla. Long may his name be remembered. So sad. I, you know, it's funny because I could have never imagined rooting for Paz Vizla. Never. During Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> never. And they've done a great job of making me care about him, which is something that they used to praise Game of Thrones for, is mm. turning you around on characters that you hated. And uh, this show is actually doing a really good job, so... Yeah, and they gave him great enemies, you know, to clear the the table and use his big gun, which was very cool to see it, like, heating up, and I thought maybe it was going to explode or something, Uh, but it was a nice visual detail. Right. But, like, he's exhausted after this fight, and then to go up against the Praetorian Guard, who are fresh and not spent at all, they take him apart quite easily. It would have been nice to see him... Uh, have a chance at them fresh but they at the same time they gave Paz this heroic death and then making it a tragedy and making the Praetorium Guard seem dangerous uh, and uh, ongoing threat that's going to reassert itself later because who can actually defeat those guys Right. Um, so it was a really really well wrapped up little story arc for, for Paz and I did enjoy that he brought out his his wrist shield, which is yes. definitely mm-hmm. a part of the anti Jedi, you know, maneuvers that the uh-huh. Mandalorians have. And and right. since they had these energy weapons, the Praetorian guards, it was cool to see him go. All right, I know how to fight this. Right. He was just too too exhausted by that point. Yeah, and uh, also 
outnumbered. I mean, th- right. those are three skilled fighters against yeah. one guy. I know he's big, but he's not fast. He's, yeah, he's not that. That's that's tough uh, on in any in any uh, sense of the uh, uh, by any estimation. All right, David, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll hear from our listeners. back. David, we've got feedback, but first we have a clip sent in from our regular contributor at this point, Alicia. Hey, Lorehounds, Alicia from Amsterdam. Holy Mandalorian cliffhanger this week, huh? Um, those two sets of super troopers we got toward the end of the episode were some incredible character design, but I, I was especially geeking out about them because um, they tied together like the past and the future timelines of Star Wars with what's going on in Mando right now. So like the first ones, the black and white Stormtrooper Mandos, um, they look like Imperial Super Commandos, which we first saw in Rebels. So uh, when we saw them in Rebels, that was set in the year 2 BBY, or two years before the original trilogy. And uh, Mandalorian Season 3, that takes place around 11 ABY, so 11 years after the original trilogy, or 14 years after we last saw these guys. Um, but when we saw them in Rebels, the Imperial Super Commandos were the Mandalorians who sided with the Empire. And uh, they were led by a guy called Gar Saxon. Um, and that's who the Empire sent to be Imperial Viceroy of Mandalore uh, when, yeah, they overthrew Bo. And he's also the guy that Sabine won the Darksaber from uh, before eventually giving it back to Bo. Now, uh, Lucasfilms, they said the designs for those Imperial Super Commandos were based on the original designs for Boba Fett um, from back in the 70s when they were going to make him have an all-white armor before they decided to give his armor some color. Um, now, I, I think the ones we saw today were definitely an upgrade over what we've seen yet. But yeah, the winner in the design category for me were definitely the Praetorian Guard, the Red Troopers with the cool capes and laser sticks. Um, these are actually an earlier version of a group called the Elite Praetorian Guard that we saw protecting Snoke and Palpatine in The Last Jedi. So if you thought they looked familiar, that's probably why. Um, now, The Last Jedi takes place in 34 ABY, so 23 years after the events we see playing out in Mando right now. And somehow, in those 23 years, they managed to add the word Elite to their title but become slightly less cool. I guess they're compensating or, you know, hashtag prequel problems. Um, the Praetorian Guards, they're titled with numbers like the Inquisitors. So we've got like First Guard, Second Guard, etc. I don't know. The Empire likes numbers. Um, but Roman history buffs probably immediately recognize the name Praetorian Guard uh, because that was, you know, the personal guard for the Caesars or Emperors of Rome. Um, and the leader was a Praetorian prefect who was like a really powerful person. Only thing was, it was known that from time to time, the Praetorian guard and Praetorian prefect, uh, when they were dissatisfied, they would turn on the emperor and, um, kill them and replace them. Um, now nothing like that happened in Return of the Jedi. So I, I doubt they're going to use that angle here, but I definitely wouldn't mind if they did. Well, Alicia, with another information bomb exploding in our heads, 
Um, I love this idea that the Super Troopers were uh, recycled designs from earlier concept art. That's very cool. Uh, do you remember the Super Troopers from the Rebel stuff? I don't. I don't. My okay. brain has now been filled with Clone Wars stuff, and I need I need to rewatch Rebels before Ahsoka, honestly, because okay. it's a little little hazy in my brain, and also I think I'll pick up on more now that I've watched a lot more stuff. Right. Um, yeah, and the Praetorian Guard. So I remember in... Uh, the Last is, Jedi. No, I'm going back to the original trilogy. Oh, okay, um, okay. Um, what's the third? Return of the Jedi, right? That's that's where you had the big throne room scene. Yeah, yeah, with the, with the dark, you yeah. know, the, the guards, and that we actually had, uh, I think my buddy had one of those action figures. They were so cool, so mysterious. How badass yeah. could they actually be? And uh, seeing them... You know, a version of them in action in this was really great. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was hard to see Baz go down, but it was also kind of cool to see how deadly those guys actually could be. Right. You know, they're doing a throne room replica, a, a, a what am I trying to say? A diorama. Uh-huh. Uh, they're doing a diorama of the throne room scene in a Lego form. Of coming course out this they year. are. <laughs> of course they are. Good times. Yeah. All right, Alicia, thanks very much. And uh, I think we're going to have Alicia on the season wrap portion of our next episode. If we can get our time zones lined up right, uh, I think it would be great to have her give uh, some opinions on the season as a whole and what she sees coming and and what we've connected to in the past. So looking forward to that conversation. We will have that on the episode eight and season wrap up. But Alicia, thank you so much for all the uh voicemails that you've been sending us they are very informative and super helpful absolutely thanks alicia all right our next uh, piece of feedback comes from our other favorite uh star wars and tolkien scholar marilyn arbagila uh she wrote in to to make a comment about armors because i think i said something about that a couple episodes ago about it was cool that the armor is this central figure to mandalorian culture And uh, she says, armorers and blacksmiths are much more than just mere artisans, however skilled and important. They have a long and honorable folk history of quasi-magical abilities connected in some degree to alchemy, the magical ability to transmute matter from one form to another. This is, in some respect, what blacksmiths do. They take earth and turn it into steel. Armorers and blacksmiths protect with iron. Think of the horseshoe placed over the doorways in so many different cultures. Pratchett does a lovely take on this whole concept in Lords and Ladies. In no way, uh, it in no way surprises me that the hearth is the center of the Mandalorian culture, and the armorer is, in a sense, a priestess of that hearth, like Hestia in Greek mythology. It's fun to see that she is also a skilled warrior and uses her hammer to do more than forge Beskar. Yeah, um, very cool, Marilyn. I appreciate that you've made that distinction for us, that this was not just another, I mean, just another. These are super important professions, especially before (laughs) mass production. I mean, this is how people got the goods that they needed. But this was a level above that, right? This was something that was so fundamental to society that it garnered respect. And in this society where it is you know, the armor is your identity. It's your family mm-hmm. identity. I think that it makes sense that she is so elevated in this culture. Yeah. And I love this idea of transmutation, too, taking 
the human body, the human spirit, the human mind, and through training and rigorous, you know, effort that you're molding yourself into, you know, this living weapon in a way, which is valued among the, you know, the Mandalorians. And so, yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, it's just like the armor says to Grogu, you know, that we forge ourselves into, uh, into these uh, stronger beings um, through this process. So, yeah, right. really great stuff. And thinking about Greek mythology and how, uh, and cultural anthropology and, and how Star Wars is able to weave all these different elements into our storytelling. It's a lot of fun. Totally. All right. Uh, Jesse sent in an email to Wars at thelorehounds.com. They say, am I crazy or did Filoni and Fav miss a tremendous opportunity to connect back to the IG-11 plot thread with Din encountering the Ugnaughts in the last episode? Why didn't ask? Why didn't Din ask for the parts he needed to repair IG? Awful. LOL. Thanks, Jesse. Well, Jesse, <laughs> now we know. Yes, now we, we do. Know. <laughs> no need to answer that one. <laughs> no, we got the uh, Anzellans doing the, the work there. Uh, and we've got now Grogu in a battle chassis that is uh, worthy of his um, history and abilities. Uh, I've, we, I think a lot of people were scratching their heads about the IG and, and so it was a nice way to bring that back and, and to not leave it a, a plot element that's, you know, on the cutting room floor. Right. All right. We've got Viv, uh, following up from her email last week, she sent into Star Wars at thelorehounds.com. Thank you, David. I was absolutely tickled to hear my email on the pod. Of course, the very next episode seems to have proved me wrong. Ha ha. But. I'm making an internet wager. I don't think we've seen the last of this plot line. I'm still predicting that there will be further conflict over the Darksaber. Maybe the siege won't go as planned. Bo-Katan goes a little crazy. And she does still challenge Din in a moment of weakness, a la Voldemort killing Snape for control of the Elder Wand and Harry Potter. I could be totally wrong, but I have a feeling this is what they're building towards. Thanks again, Viv. <laughs> Viv! I don't know. You're you're not you're not batting here. That's a couple of swings. Two O bitch. You're O for two. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, look, it could still happen. Technically, I'm going to say unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. unlikely. I mean, uh, I mean, with the Din dark is, part, I mean that could happen, but yeah, yeah. Din is has pledged his undying loyalty for Lady Kreese. I think if there's a conflict, the question mark now stands over the armor, and we have to see what resolves right. with that. Right. Which so, would be cool, I think, if hmm. the armor goes. All right, here's, here's something. Here's something I'll posit. Okay. The armorer says, all right, thanks for assembling my army. Thanks for establishing the safe perimeter now that we have the kingdom all set. Uh, let's do one-on-one, Bo. Uh, why mm, don't we do one-on-one yeah. for the Darksaber? And then she's like, all right, I had you do the work, and now I'm going to take the crown. That would be a smart thing to do if one were so inclined. Right. And you'd have to make sure that you had uh, some edge above uh, in that fight so that you could uh, take them out, like a poison blade or, you know, some sort of secret dart, de- you know, I don't know. I think, like I think the armor very well could defeat Bo-Katan in a fair Ooh. fight. Ooh, them's fighting words. Well, we are talking about a fight. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's possible. I don't think it's certain, okay. but I think that she has shown herself to be a Tough. Very strong warrior. Hammer and tongs versus uh, all of Bo's uh, belt of tricks. I wonder what is the hammer made of because Beskar Oof. is not supposed to be a weapon. But yeah. it's not a weapon. It's a tool that she happens to use as a weapon sometimes. I wonder if she's got a loophole there. 
Write in if you got uh, the over-under on uh, the armor and bow. All right, Eric K. via the contact form at thelorehounds.com. Hey, David and John. Great podcast. Just wanted to follow, throw a few things out there. Number one, Rebels is the best animated Star Wars series. Their characters deserve to be in live action for sure. So happy it's happening. John, I would uh, guess that you uh, uh, agree with this take. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rebels. I mean, I don't know if it's my favorite. I, I still... Okay. I think I think Clone Wars is a, is very close in how much I love it. So I'm not going to declare either one my favorite. They're both my children. And, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. But yes, I'm very happy that the sequel is finally happening. Uh, I'm very high on the Bad Batch. So uh, I'm I'm I think of all the animated that I've t- you know touched on and seen little bits here and there. Uh, Bad Batch has got my heart right now. Now, wouldn't it be great if they took that Bad Batch animation and they did an yes. original trilogy era? animated series because be cool. there's a nice there's a nice few years chunk between a new hope and empire strikes back mm-hmm. that i think is rich for Ripe some for luke the... and leia adventures oh <laughs> interesting okay all right and you all don't right, have number... to do weird cgi because it's animated right that's true all right eric continues dooku's lightsaber hilt was designed for christopher knight because he was an accomplished fencer uh, old reference to one of your Andor conversations there. Interesting. Okay. I know that. Interesting. Good, good uh, little factoid, little cocktail uh, tidbit. I've heard that, uh, number three, I've heard that Gina Carano's abrupt exit from the universe caused all sorts of ripples, including those Mando-themed episodes getting slotted into Book of Boba Fett, which may explain why the series got a bit jumbled. Have you heard anything about this? Also, in the age of streaming, having a bunch of intertwined series seems like a necessary evil to keep people subscribed. You know, the, the Gina Carano thing, I don't know anything about. I don't know about you, David. So no, I, I haven't away. heard any of that. That does make sense, though, because if they were going to build her out uh, and then you take that piece out, they had to do a lot of reconfiguring. It, right. It, I don't know that it's true, but there is a logic there, and seeing it play out, that makes sense. So as a theory, I think it's a, a theory that we should keep in our minds. And, and if we hear more details about it, you know, we can right. confirm or deny it. But I, I don't think it's a bad theory in that regard. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because yeah, what's done, done is done. And we're yeah. here. Um, as far as the necessary evil comment, totally disagree on that one. Because uh-huh. I do think it's evil. <laughs> I just don't think it's necessary. Because here's the thing. If you have a bunch of series... And they reward you for watching the other ones. Great. You know, if, if I can watch, you know, this episode and, and we can have Alicia come in and say, wow, it was great to see the Praetorian Guard. Right. And that rewarded her for having seen other parts of the universe. But it's not like she needed to see the even the original trilogy for mm-hmm. that to make sense. Right. right. You didn't need any other media. You didn't need Book of Boba Fett to enjoy that more. Or to enjoy that at all, rather. And or I think would be a great example of that, because there's probably a lot of people who were not Star Wars fans and who got into Andor because it was a cool spy story. Right. And there were things like prequel trilogy era artifacts in Luthen's shop Mm -hmm. that would reward you if you knew what they were, but were not necessary to enjoy the story. And I think that is the kind of crossover you want, is I... I am going to watch all of your shows because I want to, because I mm-hmm. want a more full experience. 
Not because I need to. I don't want to be forced to watch another show to understand the show I'm already watching. I think that's where the MCU might be struggling a little bit. Right. Because they really are. It does really feel like they're forcing these things on that you're, you're going to have yeah. to watch this series to understand that movie and such. Uh, right. Which was a less big problem mm-hmm. when there were fewer movies. But right. I mean, I kind of a couple years ago, I tried to get into the MCU and I turned on Disney Plus and I was like, well, how do I even start this? Like I could do the chronological thing that they have or I could do release order, but it's just exhausting, right? How many movies mm-hmm. do I have to watch before I can understand one thing? And right. So basically at this point, I come back for Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. <laughs> Those are my, like, I will always go to see those. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and the rest, like, I'll take it or leave it. You know, it's not, it's not bad, but, but, they've, but they've lost me as a, you know, as a big fan, whereas I, I probably for the first phase, I saw almost every movie. Right, same. Um, where, whereas now, I'm like, I don't even know how to get back into this. I'm lost. And we, we really have to address the issue of pacing and how right. many properties are you giving us in a given year? Right. And then that goes into the whole streaming model question. I mean, we just are now, today, I got an email uh, from HBO saying that it's going to be called Max now, and they're, <laughs> they're combining the Discovery and HBO and HBO Max all together. Um, and yeah, all the streamers are, are struggling right now because we sort of hit peak streaming. What does it mean? And I think we're still trying to understand it, even when we right. covered Kaleidoscope at the beginning of the year. Um, they were trying something. I don't talk about (laughs) (laughs) it. So I think we're still experimenting and understanding what streaming is going to, you know, provide us. Uh, It does certainly help, though, when I'm ready to go watch Rebels or, you know, uh, season one of Bad Batch. I remember last year when I started season one of Bad Batch, it was useful to have streaming because I could just call it up and, and go to town and I can watch at my own pace. So... Yeah, I think it's a complex issue. So, And also, you have to think, if you're listening to this podcast, you are already in the top tier of fans of this material right, who are yes. seeking out yeah. more information. Think about the person who saw Star Wars 30 years ago, and it's like, oh, there's a new Star Wars show on. I'm going to turn it on. And then you have to figure out that you need to watch a different show. It's not even like they tell you on the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. feed. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out that you have to watch a different show. Most people aren't going to do that. If you're listening to a podcast, you are in the tier of fan that's going to look that up. If if you're not, you know, a lot of people will look it up, but a lot of people won't at this point. Yeah. They'll just get fatigued. They'll just get confused, and they'll be frustrated, and they'll turn it off. If if there's not something compelling that grabs them right away, which right. you might have gotten with Andor, um, right. to see you know this sort of compelling characters you know moving around, so right. But that but that's my point. As you even said before, Andor is not something that you needed to see something else for, right? And that's that's really where we're at is because uh, it had a quality storyline that stood on its own outside right. of the universe that it was embedded in. Right. You shouldn't need to rely on another piece of media. Anyway. Yeah, this has right. become a long rant, and now I'm angry. <laughs> it's what we do. <laughs> so thank you very much, Eric. All right, well, Eric's got one final point. Bold prediction that could go horribly wrong. Redemption arc kill. Vader was redeemed, but sacrificed himself to save Luke. Cassian was a hustler scammer, but found purpose, and, uh, and we know how that turned out. All this to say that I think they're setting Bo up next. 
you've immortalized her in your uh, you've immortalized her flaws in your song. We've seen her moping about her fortress of solitude, and we've seen her inspired by the covert. I think she brings the Mandalorians back to their home planet. Check as their leader, but Moff G reappears with support from Thrawn to take her down. Check. This leads into the Ahsoka series. Check. And provides time for Grogu, Din, and the Mississaur Posse to take top billing. Maybe no check there. Maybe in the Filoni movie or just in my silly brain. Two force wielders in Ezra and Grogu along with space whales and a Mississaur. Sounds like it might need a movie budget. Just saying. He's not wrong yeah, in a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, I think the lightsabers are pretty easy for them at this point. Although I've seen a lot of complaints about the way the lightsabers look. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, I am fully aware of what the Star Wars fandom is and how anything, <laughs> anything will set them off. I saw them called the Fandom Menace the other day, mm-hmm. and I laughed very hard. Right. Uh, but it, by, by the way, there was a lot of chatter about orange lightsabers. Oh you know, yeah, the, I was just the red say. lightsabers look too orange. I, right, and then they came out at the convention. They were like, "Yeah, they're yeah, orange. Yeah, yeah, deal with it." So <laughs> you, you're gonna have to figure out why. And they knew that by tweaking the color hue of a lightsaber, like a couple of points over, it was gonna send the fandom into a tizzy. And they right. knew very well what they were doing when they did that. Right. That, is not, that was not accidental. They're aware of these things, for sure. Yeah, I just had to stay off Twitter with the Star Wars stuff at this point, because you go on a, you go on a tweet about The Mandalorian, and everyone's like, this is the worst show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm still watching it, though. And <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Gotta get ours. Yeah, it is. The fandom's a funny place. All right, friend of the pod, E. Hoop wrote into Star Wars at the Lorehounds. I don't want to be critical of your tech, but my audio on the pod sounds like you keep saying Doc Brown when you're clearly trying to say Commander Crudge. Maybe it's my Google, po- uh, my Google Pod format. Ha ha. Uh, a couple of things I observed recently. First, both Bad Batch last episode and Mando 3 episode 5 had very significant Cloud City vibes. Bad Batch, when the Batch limps home to be betrayed by the Empire, I made the best out of a bad deal, or whatever whatever Rhea Perlman said. Mando, obviously the opulent city with the Ugnaughts in the basement. That makes me wonder what might be coming in both cases, and it's probably not good. Bad Batch is done, and they're kind of on the run, so that's obvious, but we've got a couple more episodes of The Mandalorian to go south. Hmm. Also, the bowling with Bill, uh, pill bugs game in the last episode was very obviously reminiscent of the hedgehog croquet in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, that's a good pull. Mm, yeah, yeah. From there, I start to think of Lizzo as the queen of hearts, and I wonder if she's going to be shouting off with her heads in another episode. <laughs> or is Disney just sneaking in an ad for their classic content? I totally miss the Harry Potter thing with the wand rule, so thanks for covering that piece, Ed. And he attached a gif of Commander Crudge, which is Christopher Lloyd, choking Admiral Kirk in Star Trek VI, The Search for Spock. So oh, that was okay. his, uh, that was the call there. That was All the right. call there. Doing some, doing, crossing the streams, crossing the IPs. Yeah, crossing the stars, crossing the wars. That's right. Got it. As far as going south in this season, I think that it's feeling a little warm in here. We've already done that a bit. Yeah. Uh, things have gone south. I think the Mandalorians are on the run. Din is captured. Uh, good call. Good call, E-Hoop. Uh, I was going to say, too, 
that, um, oh yeah, with Lizzo, apparently she's a huge Grogu fan and like her socials have lots of Grogu stuff. And, okay. uh, and so the fact that they called her up was really one of those, um, it, it's like, uh, w- what was the guy in uh, Game of Thrones? Uh, the, the C- Ed, Ed Sheeran. Sheeran. Right. Oh, I'm a fan of the show, and and the showrunners get a hold of that information somehow, and then they sort of reel you in. So I think right. part of that, you know, and it was fun to pair her with Jack Black. So I think it was just one of those, you know, cool things that they can do because they've got big toys and big budgets, yeah. and you know. Well, I I think you made a, a distinction there though, which is that Game of Thrones was a deadly serious show that had <laughs> some true. humor. But not yeah. that kind of humor. Right. Whereas I do think that the Lizzo cameo and the Jack Black cameo made sense in a, a Star Wars thing because Star Wars has always been a little silly. Yeah. And it's okay to have a cameo now and then. That's all right. That's right. All right. Kevin S. via the contact form at lorehounds.com. I had a random thought this Saturday morning as I sit in my jammies and enjoy my fruity pebbles. So Bo-Katan fought in the Clone Wars all the way through the Empire's rule. And now it's roughly 10 ABY. During the New Republic rule, how old is this lady? <laughs> I think it's good a good question. question. Yeah. I did some Googling for you. Oh, good. Nobody knows because she doesn't uh-huh. have a birth year. But she was in probably her 20s-ish in the Clone Wars. So people estimate somewhere in her 40s or 50s. Okay. That's where but we're at. I would hope that the medical technology of that age would allow you to live a little bit longer of a lifespan. I know that at my age, I don't think I could be doing any combat roles. I mean, my uh, daughter and her friend tried to play, get me to play tag with them the other day in the street, and I, um, <laughs> I was feeling it that night <laughs> when I went to bed. There you go. Yep. I know the, the joys of running around with small children very well from my yes. own children. Uh, last feedback, Qui-Gon Jay on our Discord, uh, link in the show notes. One issue I do have is that Bo clearly states that the atmosphere restricts outside communication, but Gideon has no problem with his group Zoom call. We did touch on this before, but I think it's an important question that we got to put a pin in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the question is, you know, I don't think think they could have built it that fast if they Mm -hmm. were just starting to get down there. I do think there was at least an active mind down there. So I think that, and and probably they were storing some ships down there too, right? Mm. They were at least having a storage unit there and a mine. And uh, it could be that Moff Gideon was up on a ship most of the time so that he could keep in touch and then he would shuttle down when it was necessary. And then probably he saw the Mandalorians coming, said, all right, time to go in place for my drama and my show. Crazy theory. Are they the ones? Is, uh, is the secret base the ones causing the radio interference? Oh, are they jamming comms? Yeah, are they using yeah. the natural radiation the natural the the current radiation all around the planet and accentuating it somehow or or utilizing it in some way you know yeah, scattering it yeah. causing some sort of ionic radiation or something i don't know i like your theory and i'll prep your next dump truck oh perfect thank you so much uh and you know i won on ted lasso too with uh, jade and mm, nate so i have I'm, some issues with that too but we'll i get am there. swimming we'll get there. in points this this week swimming i'm in not points. i'm not sure i agree with you on on winning that one all right well it feels better than the drubbing that i took at the end of <laughs> the last of us oh sure my, no you're doing much better now i'm doing good i'm doing good yeah all right well i think that's it for our episode anything you want to say uh before we wrap things up no 
I love the show. Let's do it. Let's (laughs) keep going. All right. uh, Patreon shout out uh, to all of our Loremaster patrons. We like to give you a shout out as part of your tier benefits. And again, if you, I know we don't have any big tentpole shows going on right now. We're continuing to podcast. We'll be, you know, continuing to to carry forward with what we got. We've got some cool stuff on the horizon. Um, and you know, it, there's resources involved in podcasting, and our patrons are really the best way for you if you're interested to support us in continuing to produce the content that we make. So, to all of our patrons, thank you. To our lore masters. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, and Gareth C. Thank you all so, so very much. John, what do we've got in April coming up? Oh, so much still. We uh, just put out our second breakfast for April, where we talked about eggs and raising Arizona. Dude, I think we people had a blast. went crazy for eggs. We oh, had yeah. so much conversation about eggs as a breakfast food. It was wild. Our, we have a couple Patreon-exclusive channels in our Discord that unlock automatically if you link your Discord account to uh, your Patreon account and you're a patron. And uh, that second breakfast channel, I don't think it's ever been as active as it was this <laughs> it's weekend. It's true. It's true. Because everybody had an opinion on eggs, and I loved it. It was, it, awesome. was, it was great to see all these different you know, approaches to eggs, all these different opinions on eggs, and now we're trying to figure out what we're doing for next month, and everybody's got an idea. That's right. Well, we're voting on our Old Man Movie of the Month, which is between The Black Hole, Conan the Barbarian, and Dragon Slayer, uh, all three movies John has never seen before, but are foundational to our modern science fiction and fantasy realms. Um, and then we're also going to have a poll. I think it's going to drop on Wednesday to figure out what our next second breakfast topic is going to be. Yep. And I am excited for it. Also on the feed, we've got uh, a new episode of The Book Nook, where you yes. can hear us talk with Marilyn Arpaquila about A Wizard of Earthsea, the second half of the book. Uh, we took some listener feedback and we had a great conversation as always. John, have you started to read uh, The Further Shore, the next book in the series? I have not, and that's also not the next book. So, oh, what is the next? Oh, the Tombs of Atalon. No, what am I? <laughs> well, silly me. Sorry, I got that's ahead okay. of myself there. That's okay. I've started uh, my read, uh, but you read faster than me. I mean, you'll probably read it in, in like an evening's read. We'll try. I'll try. Your speed, um, even you. <laughs> I haven't been reading as much because we're doing so much podcasting. And it's speaking true. of more podcasting, we put out the Lorehounds play part one. Of the Last of Us Part One, (laughs) Part One of the Last of Us Part One, uh, where we break down me and Brandon the Bard, we break down that video game. It's the twenty, the twenty thirteen video game from Naughty Dog that the show is based on, and soon we are going to have the Last of Us Part One, Part Two, out, so that you can hear the second half of our conversation where we talk about the last half of the game. Uh, Brandon is a joy to talk with about video games. I think we talk about some aspects of the game that we didn't get to go into in the show because we tried to keep that show focused. And so I hope you'll join us there if you're a fan of video games. Yeah, as a non-video game player myself, it was really fascinating to hear you guys work through some of the stuff. So a really very cool addition to our lineup. Yeah, we love having Brandon around. And weekly we have Ted Lasso and The Mandalorian 
and we are just going strong on those. The Ted Lasso podcasts are super short. They are your commute to work podcast, and I hope that everyone's enjoying them because we are. Yep, absolutely. All right, John. Well, as usual, we've gone long, <laughs> but you know, normal for us. I love that stats that you put up on our Discord server too. The sort of average lengths of our episodes. Oh yeah. So I made a pivot table. Yeah, it check was that awesome. out. Yeah, you're getting fancy with the uh, with the uh, spreadsheet action. I know. I know. Uh, well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in, and we will catch you next week for episode eight and our wrap up season wrap up. It's all going to be one long podcast. Our friend Alicia from Amsterdam is going to join us for a little bit. Send in your feedback. We're going to delay our recording by a day so that everybody has time to see the episode and get some feedback into us. Star Wars at thelorehounds.com or thelorehounds.com slash contact or drop us a note on the Discord. Thanks, John, as always. And we'll see you on the Ted Lasso podcast out in a couple of days. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>